Father Athanasios. I'm the Dean here at St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Welcome back to another live Bible study on the book of 1 Corinthians inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. You know, every time I say that, I think it's, it sounds more and more like Zvenguli. Hi, welcome. For those of you who know, for those of you who know who Zvenguli is, it's, <laughs> look up Zvenguli, because sometimes I feel like I'm Zvenguli every time I say hello to the camera. So anyway, welcome. Uh, if you are new to our Bible study, we welcome you. If you're ever here in Tarpon Springs, we invite you to join us live and in person here in downtown Tarpon Springs, Father Trifon Hall at 36 North Pinellas Avenue. There are people in the room, so it's not just me and the camera. You'll get a chance maybe to hear from them um, Later, we always ask for volunteer at least to read and maybe ask a question here and there. So how does our Bible study work? Our Bible study, as I mentioned, is inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. Now we say homilies, however, in this particular case in 1 Corinthians, we know that they were actually a Bible study series that St. John Chrysostom taught. We think somewhere in the year 385 AD. We know these were not liturgical homilies because unlike his homilies on Romans and his homilies on the book of Acts, these homilies do not follow the lectionary, the readings of the day. However, his homilies on Romans and Acts do follow the lectionary. So this was more of a classroom setting, we believe, from St. John Chrysostom when he was a priest in Antioch. He was not yet the patriarch of Constantinople. So what does that mean for us? Well, the benefit for us here in the 21st century America is that we have a lot in common both with 4th century Corinth and I'm sorry, 1st century Corinth and 4th century Antioch. So Corinth was a highly populated, multicultural, highly educated and very wealthy, yet very divided society. So was 4th century Antioch and absolutely is the case for 21st century America. So when we're studying, we're hearing what St. Paul's advice was to the church in Corinth, and St. John Chrysostom is teaching to the church in Antioch in the fourth century. We're combining that and we, by God's grace, are getting some kind of benefit here in the 21st century. So tonight's uh, Bible study session is session 29. It is for 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 through 34. It is the rest of chapter 11, and it follows homily 28. So if you're watching online and you have not yet gotten the homily on the study guide, there's a link, you can pull up the homily. Oh, study guide, you say? Yes, we have a study guide. See, I prepare all the things you need to be able to benefit from our Bible study. Our study guide is available at my website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash Bible-studies. And you'll see there 1 Corinthians, and you'll find, this is session 29, press the session 29 button, and you'll find the study guide, and you'll find the video link embedded. That's a new thing that we've offered now on the online study guide. However, on YouTube, there is a live chat room, but you cannot be watching on my website to benefit from the chat room. You have to be watching on YouTube. So there's a button there on your screen. You can pull up the video on YouTube itself and voila, you'll see the live chat room, which is moderated by my wife, Presvitera Vasi. Some of you do not know this, but Presvitera Vasi also graduated from seminary. 
So she has a seminary degree. She has all the educational things that a priest receives from seminary. The only classes that she was not required to take at seminary were I call the how-to classes how to do baptisms and things like that, right? But she received all the same education that I did, although I like to think I'm smarter, but we all know that she's the smarter one of the two. So she's moderating the chat room and will on occasion bump up a question uh, from the chat room. So we have a few people online. We're very blessed in that, for those of you here in the room, live we keep people from all over the world. Um, and so sometimes from Macedonia live, which is like three or four o'clock in the morning over there, something like that. We have them from all over the world, so we're very blessed with that. All right, I talked about the study guide. I talked about the chat room. Was there anything left that I normally talk about? Ah, thank you very much. You may have noticed that a commercial played when you started the live stream. We are currently raising money to eliminate all ads. Does that make this an ad? I guess it does. There is a donate button on your screen. If you'd like to make a donation toward that, once we reach our goal, we will be turning off all advertisements for our Bible studies. You've, if you don't want to use the YouTube button, you may go to our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org give, and you can support us that way. But as soon, we read, as soon as we reach our goal, we will be turning off the ads, and then we will be set to go. So thank you very much for reminding that. Our goal is $2,000 which will fund us through the next two years. So if we, can, if we can do that, in other words, that's how much we normally get in advertising. So if we can get that, then we can just turn off the ads. Okay? And we're, we're making progress. It, it comes in different places, so it's not as, as, um, as critical today as it is maybe tomorrow. Hey, why not? Speaking of tomorrow, Next week's Bible study, session 30, we're making progress. We've made more progress this week than this month than I think all of last year combined. Um, but I just do want to say that if you are new to our Bible study, you can get caught up. All of the videos are available on my website and or on YouTube. And so since this is session 29, after tonight, there'll be 29 hours of Bible study on 1 Corinthians. There's also 33 hours on Bible study for Romans and 55 hours on Bible study in the book of Acts. Of course, I had much less white hair when I did the book of Acts Bible study. So that's 55 plus 33 plus 29 is what that's... Uh, almost 200 hours worth of Father Athanasios Bible study. So if you want to binge watch Father Athanasios on YouTube, just turn your YouTube channel on and just keep going. You can binge watch Bible study. Okay, so having said all that, let's go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, the light of our souls and bodies, and to you we give glory, together with your Father, our beginning, and your all holy good and life-creating spirit, always, now, and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. So you'll see in the study guide this thing called text analysis. This is where we will go through and we'll read the text from uh, Corinthians, and then St. John Christum is going to help us draw things out and learn from there. And then you have what I call life application, where St. John Chrysostom taking sometimes one word, maybe an entire verse, and he launches into this moral teaching, and uh, that's what we call our life application. And then we finish the night with a send-off, some inspirational point that gets us between now and our next Bible study. The section numbers in the study guide are merely given to us by the editors of the Bible study. So if you want to find these quotes in the study guide, you'll be able to, mend those to meld those two things together. And if you remember from last week, 
our special homework this week was to read the book of Job because St. John Chrysostom brings our attention to Job. I know a couple of people did that and I hope it was some kind of an inspiration although they have confessed to me that we're still having problems comprehending St. John Chrysostom. It doesn't help that the English is so archaic. That's part of the problem is it's not modern English in terms of the, in terms of the homilies, but at least it's not Greek, right? So at least you can understand some of it. All right, so uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 through 34. Do I have a volunteer to read? I'm just going to scan them. Okay, Michael, good and loud, right? Because you have to be heard by my microphone, right? So good and loud. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when, we, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. All right, so our topic again this week is Holy Communion, right? That's going to be our basis for our conversation, just where he left off last week. So let's, we're, going to just, we're going to dig right in. So section one of the homily, we have a few points here that I want to draw us out from St. John Christum. The first one is how we approach to receive Holy Communion is very serious, not to be taken lightly. Here's what Chrysostom says here. In that having once found occasion to remind them of the mysteries, he judged it necessary to proceed with that subject. For indeed it was no ordinary one. Wherefore also he discoursed very awfully concerning it, providing for that which is the sum of all good things, vis-a-vis their approaching those mysteries with a pure conscience. So I just want to add a little thing here. Um, for those of us who grew up in the church, 50 years ago, what's called frequent communion was not a common experience. A variety of reasons for that, which we're not going to get into tonight. But over the past 50 years, the church has rediscovered the importance of Holy Communion in the regular life of a Christian, okay? And one of the comments made by Yaya's grandmothers 50 years ago is when the church would say we're supposed to receive communion every Sunday, the Yaya's would say, but it's not Coca-Cola, it's not Kool-Aid. In other words, there was this this idea that it was so important and so profound that by approaching it on a more frequent and regular basis was not giving it the respect that it deserved, right? And that we were not good enough, we were not worthy enough to receive communion so frequently as to come every Sunday. Now, interestingly, that flows well in the sense of the seriousness that St. John Christum is talking about. And I just want to say as a parenthesis, it isn't that the church is telling us not to receive. We heard about that last week, that it's more dangerous to avoid communion than it is to receive communion unworthily. Interesting. So it isn't that the church says, okay, it shouldn't be taken. It's just that, that it's take it seriously, prepare yourselves, and then be ready frequently to do so. Don't use the frequency as the excuse, well, it's just too much for me to handle, so therefore, when I'm in the mood for it, I'll put in the extra effort. That's where we're at today, I think. And that talks a little bit about what Christon was talking about in the fourth century, is if we're supposed to receive communion as the apostles taught every Sunday at least, He's saying, take it seriously. It's not Coca-Cola like the Yayas use. It's not Kool-Aid, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be working diligently 
to better ourselves and to prepare us so we can come with a good conscience. That's what he's saying here. Yes. There's a question. Already? Wow. Right off the bat. Were the homilies written before or after his liturgy? Well, as I said, these particular homilies are a Bible study. They're not in liturgy. Oh, right. you mean the liturgy, that we, the liturgy that we do every Sunday? When you compare the time frame, was this happening while the liturgy was being developed and that credited to him? Good point. In this case, in this case, because he was not yet Patriarch of Constantinople, these would be before he compiled the liturgy because he was Patriarch of Constantinople when he made amendments or edits to Basil's liturgy. He was already Patriarch of Constantinople. So in this particular case, these are before he wrote the liturgy. Okay. Great question. Who has? So, Denise. Denise? Way to go, Denise. Great question. Okay, point number two. So remember, here's the, the Antiochians had fallen away from frequent communion. Remember, we're getting benefit 21st century, 4th century Corinth. Right? So the Antiochians that Christendom was teaching directly had already fallen away from frequent communion. He says this, for we do not consider so we for we do not consider how we may approach prepared with the ills that were within us purged out and full of compunction but how we may come at festivals and whenever all do so so great vantage point on the 4th century church i'll say it in my words by the time that Christism is saying this in 385, so that's what? That's 60 years after Christianity becomes legal. There's already enough lazy Christians that Christism is already bewailing the fact that they're only coming for the big festivals and whenever it suits them. Already people had fallen away from the constant dedication to coming to church. All right, now, I'm not saying that to give us the excuse. <laughs> I am saying that in that this is not a new struggle. And I think that's why this is beneficial for us. But it just gives you some insight into the fourth century church. Fourth century Antioch had already stopped coming on a regular basis. So it also, if you look at the canons, around this time is when the church is starting to enact canons of penance against those who stop coming to church frequently. So there must have been a big problem happening. And the logical conclusion is that once church was legal and no longer demanding the high commitment, then people began taking it less seriously, right? Because when Christianity was illegal, look, just calling myself a Christian was, was risking my life. Of course I'm going to come to church every Sunday, right? The minute that becomes easier, people start falling away from frequent communion. This is also the time when monasticism starts to show up. Right, just the historical perspective. So while the city church was falling away in laziness, those who wanted to take it more seriously were like, well, we're not being persecuted anymore. We're all this laziness. And what do they do? They go out to the desert. And they find a harsher experience to show their commitment and dedication to God. That's an interesting uh, perspective there. All right, so point number three, proper preparation for Holy Communion should include eliminating profane lusts. Chris is done. Now when I say profane lusts, I mean both those of the body and of money and of anger and of malice and in a word all that are profane. And it becomes him that approaches first to empty himself of all these things and so to touch that pure sacrifice. Right? It 
kind of helps you see how the Yayas from 50 years ago had a point. They're like, this is really serious. How are we going so frequently? We're not prepared. Well, Krishna's response is, then be prepared, right? But notice, he doesn't say, you know, do 75 prostrations. He doesn't say, pray for one and a half hours the night before. He doesn't say, don't eat meat for 17 days. All those things that we think in modern day orthodoxy, that this is the preparation for Holy Communion. All of, you know, he's like, no. It's the life stuff. It's the sins we got to get rid of. And it's where we have lost the mark is that all of these disciplines of the church are not ends in and of themselves. They're supposed to be helping us get rid of these profane lusts. Okay, and that's where we have lost the connection in terms of our church. But notice what he's saying here. The, the preparation is eliminating the profane lusts from our lives. Okay, section number two, point number four. Approaching Holy Communion unworthily can cause harm. Chris is dumb. Is this table, which is the cause of so many blessings and teeming with life, become judgment? Not from its own nature, says he, but from the will of him that approaches. For as his presence, which conveyed to us those great and unutterable blessings, condemned the more them that received it not, so also the mysteries become provisions of greater punishment to such as partake unworthily. Okay, and again, maybe we should subtitle this week's Bible study, The Yayas Were Right. Okay. Finally. <laughs> you couldn't hear that, but she said, finally, we have a Yaya in the room. Okay. And leading up now to this next point, into point number five, unexpected illness and death are the result of sin. I mean, since many question one with another, whence arise the untimely deaths? Whence the long diseases of men? He tells them that these unexpected events are many of them conditional upon certain sins. Now, this is an interesting thing, I think, that Chrysostom is bringing to our attention. Again, inspired, you know, by what St. Paul is telling us here, that it can do us harm. Communion in an unworthy manner, meaning unprepared, meaning bathed in our sin. That's my term. That's not Chrysostom's word. So we have sickness. Some sickness is by nature of the fact that we live in the fallen world. But his point here is, is that ultimately it is sin that brings sickness to us. Not that we are punished because of our sin, but that, let's face it, why is the world fallen? The world is fallen because of sin, right? And so ultimately illness, especially these unexpected illnesses, not old age, for example. Old age is a natural part of the body kind of slowing down and what have you. But, you know, these sudden illnesses and things like that are, in our case, you know, <clears throat> cancer. Well, these are because of a life of sin. Because we know, you know what, what does Chrysostom say? That communion can make us sick. When's the last time we heard this conversation? During the pandemic. And everyone was saying, no, you can't get, you can't get sick from Holy Communion. Except that St. Paul is telling us, yes, you can get sick from Holy Communion. You can get sick and die from Holy Communion if you are receiving it unworthily. Now that's, you know, and so Christum is saying, look, sickness, unexpected sickness, all these things are because of our sins. So what do we got to do? We got to struggle to root out sin. Does it mean we're never going to be sick? Even the holy elders on Mount Athos get sick. That's a part of the world we live in, okay? But ultimately, our world is fallen because of sickness. Okay. Point number six, 
judge your sins to get rid of punishment. Now, Connor, you said earlier that, that the homily was difficult to understand this week. This is a section I had to read a couple of times, so I kind of tried to synthesize my thought in that sentence. Judge your sins to get rid of punishment. Krishnam said this, and he said not if we punished ourselves, if we, were, if we revenged on ourselves, but if we were only to acknowledge our offense, to pass sentence on ourselves, to condemn the things done amiss, we should be rid of the punishment both in this world and the next. For he that condemns himself propitiates God in two ways, both by acknowledging his sin and being more on his guard for the future. So that's why I'm saying judge your sins, not meaning condemn ourselves, but basically to say, you know what? I'm acknowledging this sin is in my life and I've got to get rid of it. This is the sin that is causing me to fall. This is the sin that is causing me all this grief. And so my word judging it, but you know, acknowledging it, because if we don't acknowledge it, then we can't get better from it. All right, so I think that's kind of my synthesis of what he was trying to say there, because there was a lot of stuff going on that was not necessarily easy to, to figure out. So along those same lines, point number seven, our suffering is for our correction. He said not we are punished, he said not we have vengeance taken on us, but we are chastened. For what is done belongs rather to admonition than condemnation, to healing than vengeance, to correction than punishment. Right? So when we struggle, and this is a big thing for St. John Chrysostom all over the place, not just in this homily, that our struggling and our suffering is for our cure. Okay? Last week, I think it was, correct him if I'm wrong, last week he talked about the, the skilled physician, where depending on the illness, the surgeon cuts deeper, or right, he knows how to cut. Well, there's even one of the prayers when we, when we visit people in the hospital, a prayer for surgery, that the wounding of the flesh may be for the healing of our soul. Right, And so we understand, medically speaking, that sometimes the worse the illness, the more trauma to the body to bring it healing. I mean, chemo is trauma, right? Surgery is traumatic, but it's to bring healing. You don't do surgery on a, on a um, whatchamacallit, when you get something in your finger, a uh, splinter, right? You don't do surgery for a splinter. Okay, and I think in, the, in that same way, spiritually, our suffering is like that skilled surgeon that God's going to say, okay, use this for your healing, use this for your admonition, right? It's not that we're being punished. The surgeon isn't punishing us by cutting into us. He's curing us. And um, we were talking before Bible study, about the human condition of the ego and, the, and selfishness. Me, 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 me. The whole world revolves around me. Well, think about this for a moment. If our suffering is what eventually will help us heal, then our constant preoccupation with comfort and the self to avoid suffering means we'll never have the cure, right? And we are in a society right now which is preoccupied with anti-suffering agendas. Okay, well, here's Chrysostom, here's St. Here's Paul, that our suffering benefits us, okay? Chrysostom, I think last year we heard him say this, that better to suffer now than we won't suffer in the, in, the, in the kingdom, right? Get our suffering out of the way now. He talks about this like when, when sinners don't get punished now, he says, don't think they have it easy because they're not getting punished now, but they're going to be, you know, their punishment will come later. And so we can't avoid that struggle. But when we're trying to say, oh, I don't want to, you know, oh, this, oh, that, then we avoid the, 
then we avoid the cure. I guess it's like going to a doctor and saying, sorry, I don't want the surgery. Well, then you're not going to be better. You're not going to be healed. I hope I'm making some reasonable comparisons there. Okay, section number three. Speaking of selfishness, there is no place for selfishness in the divine liturgy. Listen to what Chris's thumb says here. By the way, you've heard me say, in like in Orthodoxy 101 class, I guess you haven't heard me say that yet. Um, the divine liturgy is not a place of private prayer. It's not appropriate as Orthodox Christians to come to the divine liturgy and sit in the corner with our prayer rope praying privately. The divine liturgy is a corporate experience. It is a family experience. Private prayer belongs at home, right? Or I guess if we're alone in church, that's fine. Or in the car before you get out. Or in the car to keep you from cussing the guy who doesn't know how to drive in front of you. Yes, Michael. No, that's not what I meant. Oh, okay. I mean, stay in your car and pray privately and then come out. Oh. <laughs> okay. There is no place for selfishment in the divine liturgy. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For he brings him out of the church and sends him to his house, hereby severely reprimanding and ridiculing them as slaves to the belly and unable to contain themselves. Remember, this is where, where St. Paul says, eat at home. Don't even, you know, so uh, what verse it is, it's specifically, it's... Um, uh, where is it? 34 Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but if someone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. In other words, if you're... Remember, last week we were talking about unity and harmony and, and taking care of the poor. If you're going to come to liturgy and worry about yourself, then just go home. Right? Liturgy is not a place for it. We talked about last week how the very church... The liturgy was for bringing the people together, right? Okay. Point number nine. This is really just a, um, a nice point about St. Paul. St. Paul didn't write everything down. Some things he left for in-person teaching. And that just parentheses, of course, is... Maybe we should keep track of these, Connor. Can I assign that to you? all of my arguments against Sola Scriptura, because I'm losing track of how many there are. But this is another example where St. Paul refers to being there in person as opposed to writing something down. Let's do what Chrysostom says here. Then also he alarms them again in another way, saying, and the rest I will set in order whenever I come, with reference either to some other things or this very matter, for since it was likely that they would yet have some reasons to allege, and it was not possible to set all rights by letter, meaning writing things down, the things which I have charged you, let them be observed for the present, says he. But if you have anything else to mention, let it be kept for my coming, speaking either of this matter, as I said, or of some other things not very urgent. So according to Chrysostom, there's evidence that St. Paul didn't write everything down, okay? And this is so that when I come, we'll talk about it, right? That benefits us because St. Because Paul also says, for example, in Thessalonians, hold, maintain the traditions you have received either by letter or by word, right? So we know not everything was written down. So add that to the list of arguments against Sola Scriptura. All right. So that is our text analysis of the rest of chapter 11. So now that leads us into our life application. And if you've watched any number of my Bible studies, you've heard me say, I don't know how many times, it doesn't matter even if we memorize the scriptures if they do not somehow change our life. And so we always like to include this life application. And in years of doing this project with St. John Christum's homilies, we have only found twice where he did not launch into some kind of 
some kind of moral teaching. He always gives us the, the text by text, analyzes that, and then he goes off onto some teaching that I call life application. So our life application for tonight is titled, Accept suffering as correction, as did Job. Now remember, the special homework was to read Job, so you had a better appreciation for the comparisons that Chrysostom was making here. Not everything is about Job in this section of, of, of the Bible study tonight, but enough of it is that I thought it would be beneficial. So if you're new, I encourage you to go back, read Job, and then reread the homily and the notes, and I think you'll have a better, a better appreciation for what uh, Chrysostom had to say. All right, so moving on. So our life application. Accept suffering as correction as did Job. Our first point. All suffering is for admonition. By the way, these are in section four of the homily if you want to find them later. Hearing therefore all these things, let us both take great care of the poor and restrain our appetite and rid ourselves of drunkenness and be careful worthily to partake of the mysteries. And whatsoever we suffer, let us not take it bitterly, neither for ourselves nor for others, and when untimely death happen or long diseases. For this is deliverance from punishment, that is correction. This is most excellent admonition. Right, so there's, right there you see where he's going and, and he's leading now into Job. Point number 11, learn from Job, don't be the cause of sin. Hmm. Does not Job come into your mind, O woman? Rememberest thou not his words at the misfortune of his children, which adorned that holy head more than ten thousand crowns, and made proclamation louder than many trumpets? Oh, the screen is not what you're reading. It's not? Oh, look at that. Huh. Is the, was the first one correct? I don't know. No. Huh, that's last week's. All right, I'll go back to the video and you'll just have to follow along my words. I'm sorry. All right, so should we we'll read this one again? Learn from the story of Job, don't be the cause of sin. Does not Job come into your mind, O woman? Rememberest thou not his words at the misfortune of his children, which adorned that holy bread more than 10,000 crowns, and made proclamation louder than many trumpets? Do you make no account of the greatness of his misfortunes, of that unprecedented shipwreck, and that strange and portentous tragedy? Right, so this big section of the homily about Job. And he's talking about how the devil used all these things to tempt Job. That's the point that I want to make tonight, is don't be like the woman don't who tempted his, her wife, her husband. Don't be like the devil using the children against him. Don't be the friends. All this story from Job were all unnecessary temptations against Job. That's the point I'm trying to make from this, which is why I wanted you to read Job so you have a better understanding of that whole story. Here he is, the devil is, is just tormenting him and tormenting him and tormenting him, right? And these other people who are supposed to be sources of comfort for him are adding to his torment by tempting him to abandon God. Right? So ours is not to be the cause of sin. Okay? Does that help you now? Fine, right? It made all connection together? See, it was really only one paragraph you needed. Point number 12. Honor God whether you are blessed or cursed. There's a Greek expression, may it be blessed. Okay? Christum says this. And what in particular is greater and worse than his bereavement? He did not even know wherefore all these things happened. 
On this account then, having no cause to assign for the misfortune, he ascends to the good pleasure of God and says, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. As it pleased the Lord, even so it happened. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Right, this is, this is what Job did in the midst of losing everything. Okay, he, he was honoring God even in the midst of his torment. Right, that's why that Greek expression, not of limit, may it be a blessing, may it be blessed. Right, and um, there's another tradition in the church, uh, and frankly, I think our Baptist friends have embraced this tradition better than we have, at least in, at least in uh, America, where there's a constant praise of God. You know, you ask a Baptist, how are they doing? Praise God, everything is wonderful. You know, and even in their suffering, praise God, I'll get through it. Right now, in Greek, our tradition is to say glory to God, doxa to theo, right? And, um, but in America, we, that has fallen out of our custom. And so, uh, I, I think this is what Christam is saying here, is that even in our bad moments, we have to give glory to God, right? A, it could always be worse, right? But B, again, if we, if we know the story of Job, we know that God knew in advance that Job was gonna be strong enough to endure. Just a few weeks ago, Chrysostom and Paul reminded us that in every fall and in every, every time we fall, God always gives us the way out, right? And so, we have benefit only if we include God and honor Him in all those things, whether they are blessings or curses. That's the example that Job gives us. Point number 13. The devil uses us against each other. For in fact, his wife was by this time the only one left. All this having been clean, clean destroyed, both his children and his possessions and his very body, and she reserved to tempt and to ensnare him. And this indeed was the reason why the devil did not destroy her with the children, nor asked her death, because he expected that she would contribute much toward the ensnaring of that holy man. Right? This is just how sick the devil is that he uses us against each other, right? To use a man's wife when she should be bringing him comfort and she's tempting him to betray God, right? And unfortunately for the devil, God knew that Job was going to be strong enough. And Job didn't fall even being left and tempted by his wife. Point number 14, this I think leads in beautifully from the point before. The devil is crafty. They don't call him the conniving one for nothing. In Greek, many people call the devil oponiros, the conniving one, right? It also means the evil one. It's a play on words. And mark from this also the malice of the devil, that because he knew the longing of Job towards God, he suffers not his wife to accuse God, lest he should at once turn away from her as an enemy. For this cause she nowhere mentions him, but the actual calamities she is continually harping on. That's just how sneaky the devil is, right? Knowing... I'll just say it in different words. Knowing that if his wife said anything bad about God, he would have shut her out. I'm not talking to you. Get out of here. You have, you have, you're, you're dead to me, right? So what does the devil do? He says, he, he gets her to do everything but that. Because he knew that Job had such an amazing honor for God that even if in his wife would have been totally ignored and therefore not a temptation if she had belittled God in his eyes, right? So she tempts him and talks about the pain and the suffering and all this playing to his ego without, 
without disrespecting God. It wasn't that she honored God. It's this, that the devil's like, no, don't say these things because we want to keep him, you know, engaged, right? Because that's just how crafty he is. You know, what did he do with Eve? He, he tricked Eve into the conversation. Did God really say, you know, when he tricks Eve into the conversation? This is just how crafty he is. All right. Any questions presented from the, from the chat room before we f finish with our send-off? Any questions in the room tonight? Randy says that he... Who? Randy. Okay. That he remembers from a previous Bible study to say glory to God. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Randy, for letting us know something is, is, a, is, a, is a blessing to. We really appreciate that. Thank you. And then I wrote. And then Presidera wrote, <laughs> because as we know, she's smarter than me. I am not, but I <gasps> You heard it. She said she's not smarter than me. You have, it's on video, and it's forever, right? Gone. And I was just being nice. <laughs> um... Then I, I Remember, good and loud so they can hear in the microphone. Well, they know because they can read the comments. I said, I'd like to say God willing. And then that puts my future plans in God's hands and offers it like a prayer. All right. So, interesting that you say God willing. Mm -hmm. I, so. I think what is, what is key there is and, and this plays in with this whole give glory to God whether we're blessed or cursed. If we really mean God willing, then we have to give glory to God even when he says no. Right? right? I think that really kind of plays into this comment about giving glory to God whether we are blessed or whether we are cursed. Is that if we really mean God willing, then we will honor God even when his will is against ours. We won't go, oh, God doesn't love me. God's not answering my prayers. God's not giving me what I want. Then we really don't mean God willing. And it does right? take the, the sting out if it doesn't work. It's like, well, I asked God and it seemed not to be his will. And it's easier to accept. Right, and, and let's face it, it's a... It's a childish response to ask and then uh, uh, protest if the answer isn't exactly what we want. <laughs> That's what children do. That's not what mature adults do, right? This is the, the interesting thing. Okay. And Denise says I crack her up. Denise says you crack. Denise, thank you very much for giving her extra courage. I appreciate that. Okay. So. Yes, Foti. Good and loud so they can hear you back home. Shortly ago you mentioned that avoiding taking communion can be more damaging or more dangerous than uh, taking it unworthily. Um, previously I had prepared myself to take communion going up the sides before coming back down the middle. Something occurred that frustrated me and I found myself um, like annoyed by somebody mm -hmm. that, that something small that had occurred and I took myself out of line because I just felt like in that moment I wasn't worthy because of the way I was thinking. Is that? So I think that's a great example. I'm going to restate it so they can make sure they hear um, online. So that you were in line for communion, something frustrated you, frazzled you, and you're like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm no longer prepared and worthy to receive Holy Communion, so you step out of line, right? That's what you're saying. In those moments, who won? The devil, the devil won. You don't think the devil's gonna throw that in your face again? Right? It isn't that we're ever worthy. And Christism talks about that too. It's that it isn't that we think we are worthy. It's that we, knowing we are not worthy, we're struggling to make ourselves worthy. I think that's the point that Christism is making, right? And so when we say, you know what, I'm not, you know, now again, Communion is also not a forced thing. You know, you're not, it's not for, you're not force feeding. But the point here is, okay, are you truly unworthy, unprepared because you get frazzled? 
or is getting frazzled and saying, you know what, God, please, I'm sorry, I, got, I lost my this. That itself is part of your preparation to be able to acknowledge, right? And uh, Chrysostom talks about that next week, so you have to come back next week. The importance of acknowledging our sin so that we can be healed, right? But um, otherwise the devil wins, you know? And so I, I think I would say, again, communion is not force-fed, but if you acknowledge you're never worthy, but you're prepared. Prepared and worthy are two different things. Prepared is, and this is where Christum is saying, it is dangerous to come unprepared, meaning, eh, it's just communion. I haven't even tried to stop sinning. I haven't even tried to prepare myself to embrace the, the sacred mysteries. That's dangerous, okay? That's preparedness is not the same thing as worthiness. Does that help you understand the difference there? On this note of force feeding, there was a movie, I guess it was 10 or so years ago now, one of these Jesus movies when I was in South Carolina. Um, it wasn't The Passion, but it was one of those ones like it. Uh, and the Goya there really wanted to go. I said, okay, we'll go to this movie so long as we can talk about it afterwards. And the scene of the Last Supper comes up, and there's Judas, right? And the way they portrayed Judas is that when Christ says, whoever dips his bread with me, right, is, is the one who will, be, who will betray me. And the way this movie conveyed Judas is that recognizing that Jesus was talking about him, he had second thoughts. You could see him mulling it over. And in this movie, Christ forces the bread into Judas's mouth. And immediately, I'm like, oh my gosh, how could they do that? It was implying the way the director portrayed it, it was implying that Jesus forced Judas. That Judas didn't really want to do it because then he dropped the bread. Because Christ says, whoever dips his bread with me. I don't remember. Um, Roma Downing was the one who produced the movie. You know, I'm an angel sent by God. Remember her? Um, from Touched by an Angel. Well, she was, she was producing these Jesus movies. And, and we got back to the church with the... the Bible. It was called The Bible? I think so. No, that's the series that she made. Anyway. Son of God? But, well, what, what year was it? 2014. It could have been, yeah, it's about 10 years ago. Well, even Argoyans like, well, that was weird, Father. Why would Jesus force Judas to betray him? And I was so thankful that they recognized just how weird that was. Right? Communion is not force-fed, and, and the Last Supper was communion. But worse, to even imply that Judas was forced to betray Christ is just sickening. It is why I'm against all those Jesus movies. Including The Chosen? Including The Chosen. The Chosen is my least favorite. Because all these things are fiction, they are not the truth, and they are all completely obliterated because of Hollywood imagination. Right? Even the old ones with, um, what's his name, uh, playing Moses, Charleston Heston, right? Even all these old movies. The entire, I think it was like a three-hour movie, The Ten Commandments, was three verses in the Bible. Totally made up. Total fiction. The Chosen at least admits it's fiction. However, people watch it as if it's real. Okay? I'm against all those Jesus movies. Let that be a message for everybody. We have a question. Yes. So, from Denise. So someone who wakes up Sunday morning and decides they want to receive Holy Communion because they haven't in a while, is that what you mean by unprepared? Oh, that's a good one. 
Um, all right, Denise, I'm going to answer it this way. Chrysostom over here talks about uh, it was it was point number two. The Antiochians had fallen away from frequent Holy Communion. For we do not consider how we may approach prepared with the ills that were within us purged out and full of compunction, but how we may come at festivals and, and this is why I would answer the question for Denise, whenever all do so. In other words, when it is convenient, I'm going to go to church. When it is convenient, I'm going to receive communion. At that point, there is no conscious preparation. So I would say, A, if it's been a long time since you have received, then it's better to start with confession and reset your preparation, even if it's a few days before. You know what? I've really fallen away. Father, can I have confession? I want to I I set things right so I can receive Holy Communion. So long as that's not a so I can receive it once and it's going to be another 10 years again. It's got to be a genuine reset in our hearts, obviously. But I would say to the person who has, in the premise of the question, hasn't received, she said, right, in a while. So therefore, you've already fallen out of frequent communion. If it's already been a long time, I would say there needs to be a conscious preparation beyond I wake up Sunday morning and decide to go to church. Okay? Now... Is it wrong? I'm not going to say it's wrong or right. I'm going to say it's probably better to put in preparation, but it's better than saying, well, then I'm not going, so... And then never go again. And then never go again. So there's a, there's a, a very difficult line there. Yeah. Denise, great question. That's two for her. That's two questions? That means she gets no questions next week, unfortunately, because no, no, she already no, asked two this week. Oh, if, she, if they're good questions, she asks more? Okay. All right, so here is our send-off for the night. So remember, session... What session is this? This is 29. So next week we have session 30. So make sure you read homily 29 for next week. Here is our send-off for tonight, leading us into the next week. Endure all things nobly and thankfully. This discourse let us, both men and women, have recorded, and let us engrave the words in our minds, both these and those before them. And by sketching upon our minds, as in picture the history of their sufferings, I mean the loss of wealth, the bereavement of children, the disease of body, the reproaches, the mockings, the devices of his wife, the snare of the devil, in a word, all the calamities of that righteous man, and that with exactness, let us provide ourselves with a most ample port of refuge, that enduring all things nobly and thankfully, we may both in the present life cast off all despondency and receive the rewards that belong to this good way of taking things. By the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom to the Father and the Holy Spirit be glory, power, and honor, now and forever, world without end. So, gut it and take it to the glory of God. Me, that's a good bumper sticker. You um, got another one last week. I had another one last week. Did, did you remember what it was? No. See? What kind of, you're supposed to be keeping track of these great ideas that I have. They don't come very often, so when they come, we've got to keep track of them. All right. Uh, that, yes. A broken and humble heart God will not despise, correct? Correct. So back to the communion one, to some extent, someone's full compunction and contrition could be. Yes, again, it's not that they shouldn't or should take communion. It's the casualness of it. The way she asked the question, it's, ah, I'm going to church today. But if it's waking up with an epiphany, I can't believe I let all this fall to pieces. That's a totally different 
mindset in approaching the chalice. I think that's the point. Okay. All right, that brings us to the end of another live Bible study. I hope it was uplifting for you. I enjoyed it myself. I hope you all enjoyed it. Until next week, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ. Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.